Hello, and welcome to the Organizing for Change podcast. The goal of this podcast is to equip coalitions, organizations, and individuals to bring change to their communities. The host of the Organizing for Change podcast is the Coalition Coordinator for Avon, Massachusetts, Amanda Decker. Thank you for listening. Welcome to the Organizing for Change podcast. If you are new to the podcast, our goal is simply to equip coalitions, organizations, and individuals to bring change to their community. We have some great new spaces for leaders of prevention coalitions, such as our Facebook group titled Coalition Coordinators. And if you are a coordinator of a prevention coalition or you know someone who's a coordinator, come and join us. Each week we post ideas, questions, and we do our best to serve you by connecting you with people who are in the same role as you and have ideas and tools in that space that can help you grow. Each podcast episode, we'd like to do a shout out to someone on the Facebook group. So this episode's shout out is to Linnell Marie Grudman, who comments on the Facebook group page, the resource that has helped her grow the most as a coalition coordinator is the timely ability to get information. And we definitely agree with that. What a great time and era it is to live in. Also, with each episode, we put out show notes. The show notes are completely free, and we can email them each episode directly to your inbox so you don't have to worry about taking notes. If you would like a copy of the notes, check out our website at organizing forchange.podbean.com and use the link to sign up for the show notes today. We drop a new episode on the last Tuesday of every month, and later in this month you will be hearing from Dr. Nick Chatty from Boston Children's Hospital, but occasionally we put out a bonus episode, like today. Today you can join me as I interview Dr. Jeff Lincolnback, who is the Director and Chief Research Scientist, on this bonus episode as we talk about the science of the positive, what is working in the field of prevention, and being present. Dr. Jeff Lincolnback has developed national award-winning programs to change social norms. He pioneered development of the science of the positive process and the positive community norms framework, which are being utilized by tribal, federal, state, and local organizations to achieve positive change and transformation around issues including child maltreatment, substance use disorder, suicide, and traffic safety. Dr. Linkenbach holds a doctorate of education and a master's degree in counseling and has over 30 years of experience in the field of public health leadership. He lives in Bozeman, Montana with his wife Cindy and their two children who bring joy and meaning to his work and life. And now for my conversation with Dr. Jeff Linkenbach. Well, welcome to the Organizing for Change podcast. I am so excited to have Dr. Jeff Lincolnback, who heads up the Montana Institute on our show. Welcome, Jeff. Hi, Amanda. Thank you. Yeah, so I first heard about your work way back in 2002, believe it or not, and uh, you were talking about something revolutionary um, around just 
the whole uh, social norms campaign around the being positive and telling young people that most people don't use um, alcohol. And then just really your work has taken off since then. And um, it's been just amazing to me. But for those who don't really have an idea of what the Montana Institute is and what you do, maybe you could just tell us a little bit about that. Well, sure. Thank you so much. The Montana Institute is located in Bozeman, Montana, and we focus on the science of the positive. We do research, trainings, uh, executive consultation, um, develop uh, surveys, do a number of things related to the science of the positive. And the, and the science of the positive is the study of positive factors in ourselves as individuals and communities and cultures. And then it spins off into all sorts of different directions from there. Sure. I One of my favorite quotes that you have, um, you say, more than just a scientific inquiry, the science of the positive is a philosophy of living and a blueprint for cultivating community and developing soul in leadership. I just love that quote. Um, I love that it talks about how mm -hmm. just our soul is so important and just to have soul in leadership. Maybe you could just talk a little bit about that and just kind of how um, like one of the big eye opening things to me is like I'm a very data driven scientific kind of person. I love science. But uh, you say that there's a step before we just launch into the science and you talk about the spirit, the soul. Do you want to talk a little bit about that and what do you mean by that? Yeah, absolutely. It's something that has uh, emerged for me in, you know, the, the whole trajectory of like the last 30, 35 years of my work, where this element of spirit and soul has, has tended to show up in, in different ways. I, too, as a research scientist, um, love the science and dive into the science. But if we go back and actually look at you know, the very definition of, of psychology, psychology means the study of the soul. We'll go back and really look at some of the early years and early work that uh, psychologists were doing. That That's what they were doing. And then it's really shifted, you know, in the past several decades to being more about like a focus on the mind. But it's interesting as we've continued to go out and do this work, we're finding that, yeah, there's the the mantra we have is, Spirit first, mm -hmm. then then science to lead to action to get to the results. So there's actually this cycle of transformation, we call it. It goes spirit, science, action, return. Yeah, and I love that. Like one of the neat examples um, that just has stood out to me all these years, you showed a video and it was of a um, – uh, I guess a video about why you should wear your seatbelt. And it had this beautiful family and like in the commercial, the family ended up using like, um, it looked like the family became the seatbelt for the person. And you talked a lot about rather than scare the health into the folks, you know, like traditionally when we think of wear your seatbelt commercials, we think of the crashed car and the blood scene and all the ambulance. But like this commercial, it's been years since I've seen it. It's still stuck with me because they talked about like the spirit or the feel behind it. And um, that's just been really powerful. 
I I think that's a yeah a great observation, great reaction. I have the same um, reaction in in watching that particular one, and that was part of the the experiences that that we were having. There was this period of time in the late 1980s and the 1990s where a lot of health education, and we still see this today mm-hmm. with different issues, a lot of health education was doing what, what you said, trying to scare the health into people, trying to show them, you know, toxic, horrific, negative consequences so that fear would hopefully be the motivator. And you look into the data and the research, and while there are certain situations where indeed the harsh consequences can be a motivator for small segments of a population. Typically it has these iatrogenic or backfire effects. It doesn't work as well as positive approaches. And we found that with many of our projects and then started to look around and looking through that lens really do find that the most effective messaging and the most effective campaigns, they're going to start intentionally with some sort of spirit first message. They're going to do something to speak to the heart. That's so true. Do you have a favorite, like, um, you know, just speak to the heart scenario that you've, that comes to mind when you think of, um, kind of that? Um, I I think there's quite a few actually. I like, I'll just mention this one because I think a lot of listeners would would know about it. If we think about the famous speech of, you know, Dr. Martin Luther King, right? Um, mm-hmm. one, one of his most famous lines, and, you know, we haven't prepped together for this conversation, Amanda, but he starts off and he says, what? I have a what? A dream. A dream, right. He doesn't say, I have a scientific theoretical <laughs> approach that's grounded in evidence-based um, methods. And running a Cronbox Alpha shows us that we should be using this as, uh, okay, being facetious, but how often do we try and come into a scenario and try and convince people and we lead with data, we lead with a strategy, we lead with, and the most effective um, orators, the most effective communicators, they're going to start from the heart. They're going to They're going to talk about a dream. They're going to talk about a vision. They're going to tell a story. And then within that story, then they bring in the data. And then they can, the data hopefully then start to show where, where we have evidence, where we would have most effectiveness. So it's a, it's a pretty typical pattern and it's a very simple pattern. I think that's important here too. The issues we deal with are very complex, right? You mentioned a few Mm. of those traffic, you know, traffic safety and seatbelts. We do a lot with, um, you know, different cultural issues. That's a lot of our work is focusing on working with and helping to create healthier cultures around violence, um, around suicide prevention, um, healthier organizational business cultures. And um, when we think about that, they're very, very complex, right? Yeah. Well, what we need, what we're finding is that we need something very simple that can sit at the center of that complexity and that can help us navigate that complexity. I think that's why people gravitate to mm-hmm. this work, the science of the positive. It's like, there's what you said, there's the aha moments 
of mm-hmm. being able to hang on to something and and actually navigate that ambiguity. So true. Uh, another thing that I love that you say too is you say if you want health in your communities, then you should promote health. And oftentimes, like with that scare thing, we're promoting the very thing that we're hoping to prevent. Would you say that's definitely true? Oh, my gosh, yeah. And um, that came through some hard realization for, for myself and other colleagues in the um, mainly in the early and, and then late 1990s. Uh, many of us were working on um, college campuses and that's where a lot of the social norms work emerged through some of the, there's a group of us, but some of the early pioneers of Wesley Perkins and Alan Berkowitz, Michael Haynes, Corrine Johannesson, myself, others. Um, we were focused primarily on trying to reduce binge drinking and the associated you know, negative consequences. And the grants and the theory at the time really basically said hey, go out and raise awareness, create as much awareness of, as you can around the problem, right? Mm. And the problem was we were all successful in doing that in different ways. And instead of seeing drinking, high-risk drinking go down, it actually went up. So mm. we, started, we started talking and saying, you know, what's happening for you and me? And, you know, we're like, geez, we're following these, you know, best practices and we're raising the awareness of the problem. We're showing everybody how, how normal it is and how widespread it is and how everyone should be, everyone's doing it. Well, then we were getting some of our ahas, right? It's like we were normalizing the problem and the more that we normalized it, the more people wanted to join that norm. Mm-hmm. So that was a, a big moment for a group of us that, that started to really look at this work differently. Yeah. So now when you think of kind of fast forwarding to here, where would you say things have really changed? Like where are we getting it right when it comes to health, you know, today in 2019? Where, where's, where would you say this is really good? This is where the health community is getting it right. Oh, gosh. I love that question, first of all. Um, I love the question. I'm gonna, I just want to focus on your question for a second because that is an example of where I think the health community is getting it right, is they're asking questions like what you just did. Hey, what's going on out there that's working well? Hey, what's going on out there that's working right mm-hmm. that we could build on? That's a, um, it's similar to one of the approaches, one of the positive approaches known as appreciative inquiry. And I, I just want to pause for a moment and commend you for how you frame that. So I think there's a lot of places where we're seeing that, that, that different health community, health communications uh, scientists are, are getting it right. I think um, one area, for example, is that we know it's not enough to just focus on individuals and somehow equip individuals with more knowledge or skills or protection to navigate an unchecked or otherwise you know, risky environment, right? Um, Mm. One of the ways that I think that the prevention community is getting it right is is with the science of focusing on the environment. Um, Mm. We want to create environments where even if individuals don't make the best of choices, 
there can be greater protections, right? Um, So, um, and so it's, that's a big area where I think that the health research and communications people are getting it and how we do that. There's a number of different strategies. One, one of the most important, for example, is, is the use of public policy Mm -hmm. and norms really connect with public policy. We can, shape public policy and we can shape norms to support those and um and then that can help make other changes in the environment whether that be a social environment a legal environment for some might be drinking or driving environments um uh nighttime environments um just we can think of a lot of different ways where if we could focus on uh making changes in the environment then it's not just relying on an individual to hope that she or he makes the right choice in in that situation. So that's one area that we've really seen in the past 15 years where the prevention science is, is really getting it right. So encouraging. If you think of where you see us going in the future or things that you would like to see in the future, kind of what's your take on where we're headed? Yeah, I think um, that that's a that's a great question. I I think one of the things in terms of of where we're headed it comes back to that cycle we were talking about. We're finding that if people can learn a core practice uh, and and skill set and way to navigate um, different issues, they can then transfer those to different issues that emerge. So for example, um, now we have, you know, a lot of issues with the opioids and, um, mm-hmm. at, you know, heroin and, you know, well, that wasn't as prevalent, say, you know, eight, 10 years ago. And this is always going to be the case. We see issues with vaping that, that are emerging for a lot of high school students, for example. Um, there's always going to be emerging threats. And I think one of the directions of of where we're headed is to have um, prevention leaders to see themselves as transformational leaders that can come in to an environment. They can be part of a culture. They could enter a culture and work within that culture to increase health and safety and, and actually measure change and measure, measure transformation I think um, having that core skill set is how we do that. We do that with a working with um, core principles and, and really unpacking these core principles so that when people have the, the principles to guide them, they um, again, they can enter into a, a brand new situation and something they've never dealt with before, but they're going to have that core skill set of, of being able to impact and make change. So good. I love that you focus on really helping the leadership improve their skills because I've heard it said before that, you know, when the leader gets better, everyone gets better. Mm. And I, I really like um, one of the things that I'm actually doing right now. You have um, a workbook out there and it's kind of like um, really to self-reflect and kind of look through your own mm-hmm. leadership uh, using those core principles and um, they've, they've really helped me rethink about the work that I do here. Um, one of, I, maybe we can even just run through them really quick. Um, we kind of talked about being positive, but I love 
the one one of my favorites is be present um, mm. because I think just today that there's so much going on it's really hard to just take a deep breath and really fully engage in the moment that you're in do you want to talk a little bit about that and just you know what does being present mean for you wow yeah um thank you um so these being present is <clears throat> excuse me core principle number two mm-hmm. there's seven core principles and they've all later on i jokingly say you know we're named with in starting with the letter p for pithy pedagogical purposes right well <laughs> um playing on that uh, another p um there were seven distinct constructs that that were emerging through the research that I'd been doing. And then we started to apply that and and then it started showing up as seven steps and then Mm -hmm. um, moving those around. But underneath each of those, those steps, those action steps, these principles had emerged. And so core principle too, about being present. Well, let me just, there's a flow to those. The first one being, Mm -hmm. being, being positive and, the core assumption of everything that we do is, is that if we dig down through all of our, our thinking and our, our theories, the core assumption that we have is that the, there's this construct, there's this experience, the spirit of what we call the positive, that the positive exists. Yeah. It's real. It's there. It's real. It has a presence. We can experience it. We can touch it. We can spread it we can grow it we can measure it so this is real so that's so that's the essence of everything we do is like how can we connect with and grow this positive and understand that it's always there it's and this ties into the being present Mm -hmm. it's already there it's already there it's currently present in each person each culture each organization so it first of all this radically shifts our approach in coming into work with other leaders or a community to recognize that the positive is there in them. And what we're doing is hopefully creating conditions to allow safety and exploration for that to emerge more and more. Mm-hmm. And, and being present is, is critical because it, it brings everything, all of our faculties and everything into the mindfulness of, of the now, right? Where we can, really experience um, the power of the positive and and what's really happening in the room. And if you think about, uh, I was trained as a, a therapist, all good therapy really creates conditions to, to observe what's happening right there in that moment and, and allowing that to emerge, recognizing that that's often like a microcosm of other patterns. Well, the same thing. Uh, with the work that we're doing at a community level, we'll see what's happening here. And you're right. We live in a time where it's so easy to be distracted. And it's such a gift if we can learn a, a practice of giving ourselves that gift of being in the now and being present. There are so many incredible benefits. So true. Is there anything specific that you do to really help yourself you know, be in that space? Or is it kind of just something you've worked on for so long that it just is very natural to you? But 
Again, great, great question. You know, it's, um, I'd love to say, wow, I'm, it, it's so natural. In fact, some of our family, friends and all, and people jokingly call me rainbow boy, you know, kind <laughs> of Mr. Positive. And, but that's not, it's not necessarily the nature I came from. I, I actually came from an abusive family and some real toxic elements and have had some of my own demons and mental health issues and things that, that I've struggled with and they will raise their, their dark shadows every now and then. And so for me, it's more of a, a consistency and, and, a, and a practice. So what we find, and like what you referred to with that reflection workbook that you're working through, it's, it's about having a discipline and, and setting aside time and, and being very conscious and strategic about growing the positive um, mm. in ourselves and as an, a really important element to be able to take that then for others. So, yes, there's things about it for me now that are much more natural, and there are elements of practice, some of it spiritual practice, and for example, like prayer and meditation, and a practice of taking time in the middle of a busy day to go outside and connect with nature, uh, mm -hmm. taking time to be mindful about some little things that I'm, I'm reading, uh, being mindful about what we share with others, because what we share with others really is a reflection and coming right back to us. So there's these really important, simple practices that have been going on for generations um, that, that I think we're talking about here. That's awesome. Wow, I wish we had time to go through every single one of the principles, um, but we don't. So I have another question. Um, so you just talked about what you're reading. I'm curious, what are you reading these days? And, um, you know, what, what's, <laughs> what's good out there that you're reading? Oh, my gosh. Um, I, um, I love reading. I love books. It's more a question of what am I not reading? I, I have so many things starting and stopping. Um, so one of the things um, that this is interesting, I've, I'm behind on my National Geographics. So I'm like consuming, you know, two to three of those a week right now to, to catch up. There's so much. Um, I love how National Geographic with the, um, the science and the ethnography, uh, the, the geography, it is so relevant and current. So th that's one thing. Um, and I can't help but read some of these different things through the lens of understanding norms, right? Um, yeah. I was reading a National Geographic um, the other night, and, and it said that uh, two years before Martin Luther King uh, was assassinated um, in, in you know, 1968 in, in Memphis, two years prior, he, he only had a, an approval rating of um, around 30%, wow. which is interesting. You know, so mm -hmm. um, now, today, fast forward, it's over 90%. Mm -hmm. But when I hear numbers like that, I, you know, as a, as a norm scientist, I'm like, 30%, that means most people disapproved, right? Mm -hmm. and, um, and it was interesting to me how long it took for for example, for different streets to name themselves after the great Martin Luther King. So, for example, mm -hmm. in Germany, uh, three weeks after his assassination, uh, 
there was a street in Germany named Martin Luther King Avenue. It took eight years, actually, for the first street in Atlanta, which is where he was, you know, um, born, his birthplace, um, to name a street after him. It took 40 years for there to be a street named after him in in Memphis. And so um, it's just a reminder sometimes that norms show up in, in different ways um, and um, and there's different conditions. Uh, we don't have level playing fields at times for how this shows up. So I, I kind of digressed a bit from what you asked no, in terms of giving no. you a reading list, but I just wanted to say, here's an example for me where I, I pick up something like that and I'm fascinated about the norms and the culture and the social change um, that takes place. Um, but there's, um, there's so, so many um, great works out there right now in terms of um, reading. One, one of the, the books that um, I'm reading right now actually is, uh, it's called The Self-Aware Universe uh, by Amit Goswami. Um, it's a, over 10 years old now, but really looking at the interface between uh, spirit and science and really challenging a core assumption that uh, there's this thing called matter that is completely independent of consciousness or spirit. Mm -hmm. And instead, really going back to, I think, a lot of what we see in indigenous people's thinking, which is that spirit resides in, in there's an energy that resides in in everything. So it's, it's real interesting. I'm always fascinated by that, that interplay between spirit and science, and then how what that means for, for us with our work. So true. I know that people listening are going to just, they are, you know, you just scratched the very tip of just <laughs> curiosity. And I know people are going to want to hear so much more. And I know that you offer a, a summer institute. Do you want to talk a little bit about that as we wrap up and just, you know, what it is and how people could get involved in maybe uh, continue learning more about this? You bet. And, and thank you. So you can find more about um, all of this work on, on our website at at Montana Institute, if you're just to do a search for montanainstitute.org or .com, um, you'll, you'll find things off of our website there. And we run a, this is actually our 21st year, started it in 1998 at Big Sky Resort, Big Sky, Montana, in the mountains. And, um, this year, it's the last week of June. It's usually early, late June, early July. And it's called the Montana Summer Institute. And it's four days of exploring this work as applied to different issues. And we bring in a pretty stellar faculty. I uh, am so um, grateful and humbled by some of the people that we have. Um, Dr. Jason Kilmer from University of Washington is a famed um, researcher. Uh, um, Dr. Bob Segge, pediatrician uh, scientist who I met at the, the CDC, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and doing work around uh, child maltreatment prevention and flipping that paradigm to look at hope, looking at positive experiences, um, but, and, and others um, that we have as well. So real, um, 
opportunity to explore this work as applied in a lot of different uh, settings and issues and taking it deeper. There's always this element of integrating role and soul. That's a term from Parker Palmer that I like. Um, we always have that thread moving through the work. What is it, you know, what's our big why? What is it that really yeah. speaks to us? And um, that's what we'll be focusing on some this year as well. That's so exciting. Well, thank you again so much for your time and just uh, spending time with our listeners and uh, sharing. Thank you. It's, uh, it's an honor. Thanks, Amanda. Take care. For more information from today's podcast, check out our show notes. There you can find our contact information, social media, and website. Please get in touch with us if you have any comments or questions. And if you like today's podcast, please share it with your friends. Thanks for listening.